Welcome. How's everyone doing today? Doing good? Hey, I hope you're ready for a great day at church. I want to take a second to welcome all of our Denver locations, as well as our two God Behind Bars locations, and then our newest location across the pond, Brussels, Belgium. Let's give it up for them. What an exciting time it is for our church that we are officially on another continent. I don't know about Chad and Sean being on another continent, but we'll see how that goes. But Brussels, uh, welcome. Love you guys. Um, but hey, my name is Andrew Matrone, and I'm one of the youth pastors on staff here, and I have the absolute privilege and honor of sharing the Lord's word with you guys today. And man, I come to you all with such great expectation for what the Lord is going to do. I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know the burdens or whatever you feel is happening in your life, but I do know that there's a Lord who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to speak to you. And so my prayer is that you would just open up your heart and say, Lord, I receive what it is that you have for me. Is that cool? But hey, I'm going to go ahead and dive right into our text today. Uh, I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 18, verse 9. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and go there. I'll be reading out of the NIV. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. <clears throat> All right, you're ready. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says to these men, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And hear this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two very different men with two very different approaches to God. One man approaches God based off of his own works. Another man approaches God based off of God's works. See, today I want to talk to you about how we approach a relationship or a potential relationship with God and the freedom that maybe you have been missing out on. But the bottom line for this message today is this, that you'll never fully understand the heart of God until you begin to approach him from approval instead of for approval. Let me say that one more time. You'll never fully understand the heart of God until you begin to approach him from approval instead of for approval. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. Thank you so much, Lord, that we're able to come here, worship you freely. God, that you love us, that you care about us, Lord. I pray that every single person would understand, Lord, that you brought them here on purpose, for a purpose, and you want to speak to them. God, we welcome you to this place, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So my wife and I, we just recently celebrated our fifth year of marriage last month, and yeah, we're married forever now. It's great. Learned so many things. I haven't learned a lot of things. Probably one of the biggest things that I've learned in marriage, though, is that when you get married, you establish certain rules or roles within uh, your, your marriage where whenever it's upheld by both people within the marriage, it creates peace in your home, okay? It, it's, it's important. Like uh, one, one married couple, one couple might have the, the role of paying all the bills where the other spouse has a role of 
mowing the lawn, okay? One spouse may have the role of cleaning the toilets while the other has the role of trimming the trees. I don't know, whatever it is, right? You all have certain roles or rules within your relationship. And the longer that you have these roles, right, they kind of become the rules of the house, right? I mean, the the longer that you are doing these roles, they become the rules of the house. Now, what happens when one of the spouses does not uphold their end of the deal? Well, it creates this thing that I'd like to call marital tension, some marital tension, right? See, me and my wife, we have certain roles within our marriage, okay? I pay the bills. She changes the poopy diapers. I put gas in the cars, and she puts up with mine. She watches Real Housewives of Atlanta, and I leave her alone, okay? Like, that, that, that's what we do. It just works for us. It, it works. Those are the roles, and that's just how we function. Now, There is one role, though, that I have, of course, that I absolutely hate. It's the worst rule. It's the worst role that I have to kill all of the spiders. Okay, anybody in here hate spiders? Come on, anybody. All right, I I hate, hate spiders, okay? I believe that hell will be filled with spiders and Raiders fans, but mostly spiders. (laughs) Maybe some Seahawks in there. There might be one or two. I don't know. Just kidding. Lord, I apologize. <laughs> but a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was in, in our room, and I was sitting on the bed, and I was reading the Bible, of course. And I was sitting there, I was reading. About 8 o'clock at night, and my wife, she's in the living room with our son, and, and all of a sudden, I hear this blood-curdling scream. And I hear, babe, help! And so I'm like, dude, some guy is in our house, and this dude chose the wrong house, okay? So I jump out of bed, and I'm trying to find something to grab. I have nothing to grab, so I grab my slipper, and I'm like, who, who where are you at? I'm going to get you, right? So I run out into the living room, and my wife and son are just sitting there all alone. I'm like, where's he at? Like, where is this guy? And she says, babe, look. And she points. She said, there's a huge spider. Now, my wife, she exaggerates things a lot, okay, and, and I look up, and no lie, this spider is about the size of a dime, okay, like the t- world's tiniest spider, and I, I say, are you serious, like, you got me out of bed for this, and so as I'm talking trash to her, she says, well, that's your job, so you got to do it, so I go and grab a paper towel, and, and I go to squish the thing, and, and I think I squish it, and I turn around, because you want to see all, like, the blood and guts, you know what I'm saying, and I turn around, and all of a sudden, this spider begins to crawl up my arm, and I go, ah, and I throw out, I throw down the paper towel, and, and the spider just goes running off in the distance. Now, how many of y'all know when you lose a spider in your house, you pack your bags, you pack the car, you grab your kids, you put the for sale sign up, and you leave? Ain't nobody playing games with spiders, okay? So the spider gets away, and I, I just... I know, I, I know my wife saw the spider get away. And I turn around, look at her, and the look that she gave me was a look I've never seen before. She was so, so mad at me. You think I'm lying. She was so mad at me. But she says, you had one job, and you failed. And you failed. Needless to say, I slept on the couch that night. She said, you're sleeping with the spider. Enjoy. I hope he bites you. Ah. Uh. When rules are broken, it can cause tension in a relationship. You see, rules are important in any relationship because where there are no rules, 
there are no boundaries. You see, and rules are just important in our life in general because rules govern a lot of the things that we do. Rules govern um, how we talk, how we act, how we interact, how we dress. They govern a lot of the things that we do, right? For instance, because of rules at work, I have to show up to work at a certain time. Because of rules set by the government, I have to drive, or at least I should drive, a certain mile per hour, right? Rules are everywhere. And I would say that for the most part, people are pretty good at following rules. Now, some of you are just horrible rule followers, but for the most part, people follow rules. And and why is it, though, that people follow rules? Well, it's because you don't want to have to pay the consequences of not following rules. We follow rules because we want to be free of consequences, want to be free of consequences. Now, I say all this to get to this one point, that whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are a believer in the Lord, that you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, he has set you apart, you've put your faith in him, you believe that he's the only way to get heaven, whether you believe that or are that or not, I believe that this is how many people view a relationship or a potential relationship with God, that it's all about rules. It's all about rules. Do this. Don't do this. Say this. You better not say that. Act this way. Look this way. Dress this way. Speak this way. And if you do all of these things, then you might just be good enough to attain a relationship with God. Or even if you're in a relationship with him and you continue to do all these things, then you might just be good enough to maintain a relationship with God. You see, I believe that Christians can feel this way, whether you've been a Christian for 50 minutes or 50 years, I believe that Christians can feel this way. And if believers feel this way, you got to believe that non-believers feel this way as well. See, I would argue that everyone has felt at some point, okay, that to be saved or have a relationship with God, I better come to him with all of my stuff together or it's not going to work. Or in order to keep this relationship with him, I better keep all my stuff together or else I'm going to lose this relationship. Have you ever felt that way? Am I the only one? Right? Oftentimes, like we hear and we preach all the time that this relationship with God is about freedom upon freedom upon freedom. But then based off of our interpretation or our misinterpretation on God and his word, we believe that this relationship that's supposed to be about about freedom is more like a prison. And God's the prison warden ready to slap your hand at the first sight of you doing anything wrong. You see, we feel this because somewhere along the line, we chose to believe that our right standing or our relationship with God or lack thereof is based upon what you do or do not bring to the table. And because of this, for many people, it's created this distance, this relational gap between you and God. And because of this, many of you have never really dove into a relationship with God. Because if my relationship with God is based off of my merit, then I definitely don't have the good enough merits. And so I'm going to stand on the fringes. And some of you have spent your entire life as a believer on the outside looking in. But I want to explain something to you. That the Bible is extremely clear. That outside of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that he rose from the dead and that he's the only way to heaven and giving your life over to him, outside of that, there's nothing that you have to do to attain or maintain a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. This is important. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
Your faith does not save you. It's the grace of God that you have been saved. And it goes on to say, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Then what does it say? Not by works. Not by works that no one can boast. See, salvation, if you're new to church, you don't understand what salvation is. Salvation is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And he begins to change our lives from the inside out. And not only changes our life here on this earth, but the trajectory of our life in heaven, our eternity. That's what salvation is. And this passage is saying that salvation is a gift. It's a gift from God to you. It's a gift from God to me. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You don't earn it. And it's not going to be taken away from you. Like picture salvation, it's gift wrapped and all the things that come with it are in it. And God says, son and daughter, if you want it, it's yours. Take it. No strings attached. And it's a gift to you. And I'm not going to take that gift back from you. It's a gift from God to us. But then it says, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not by works. Our salvation, our right standing with God, is not based off of our merit. Because if it was, you could brag and claim that you saved yourself. Does that make sense? Like, if it was based off of your merit, you could say, hey, I did X, Y, and Z, and because I did that, now I get to have this right standing and enjoy all the provisions that come with the relationship with God. Now, I would say, though, that this concept of not having to do anything to attain or maintain a relationship with God is pretty difficult for a lot of people to grasp. And in all actuality, it kind of seems a little too good to be true. You see, many people can't enjoy the freedom that Christ came to bring because many of us are bound by this very specific issue of our heart. And maybe you don't even know that you're dealing with this. But a lot of us are bound by this specific issue of our heart. Now, some people aren't experiencing the freedom of God because they're bound by the issue of sin. Okay, there's some of you in here where there is sin in your life. You know that it's sin in your life. And because of that, Freedom in your life has been stripped from you. Okay, that's some people. Some people aren't free because of their thoughts, their mind. Instead of taking their thoughts captive, their thoughts have taken them captive. And because of that, you have lost your freedom. Okay, that's some people. But this third one, I believe, is the silent killer. It's the one that we don't think about often. But I believe that many Christians are bound by or many people who want to be a Christian or want to have a relationship with God are bound by, and I believe it's the most dangerous of them all, but it's the spirit of legalism. The spirit of legalism. See, legalism is the thought that salvation is not only attained, but maintained by your works, by how well you follow the rules, that God's love for you is based off of what you do for him. Understand something. This is very important, okay? Okay. Obedience to God is not legalism, okay? Obedience to God is not legalism. Obedience is one of those things where you're going to experience more freedom in your life by how much you obey God. Obedience to God is one of the most important, most valuable things that you could ever learn as a believer. That's not legalism. Obedience to God in hopes that you'll gain right standing with him is legalism. Obedience to God in hopes that you might earn more love or you won't lose love is legalism. Legalism says this, that if I do A, B, and C, then I'm going to get A, B, and C. Or if I don't do that, then I'm, then I'm going to lose this or I won't receive that. 
See, that's the spirit of legalism that many people are bound by. And so this story that I read earlier about these two men, Jesus is addressing this issue of legalism. And he's talking to a group of men who who believe that their righteousness was what was going to earn their right standing with God. Okay? So that's our setting. He's talking with these these men who think they're righteous. So Jesus says, okay, you believe that? Let, Let me speak into that a little bit. And so Jesus goes on to tell this parable. He goes on to tell this parable about these two men and how they approach God. Now, one of the men was a Pharisee. Okay, we hear about them, the religious leaders, had all of his stuff together. Second man was the tax collector. Tax collectors were, were sinners. They were thieves. They were thugs. They took from people for their own gain. So two very different people, right? Two very different lifestyles. Two very different vocations. But what's most important about these two men is that their difference of approach when it comes to God. So Jesus says, these two men, the Pharisee, the tax collector, they go to the temple to pray. And Jesus says, the first man, the Pharisee. Now, the Pharisee, he, he knew the law. He knew the Torah. He was educated. He had all the right things to say. He had all the eloquent words to speak. He knew what to do. He had the good rap sheet. He approaches God, and this is what he says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He's like, dude, I'm literally standing right here. <laughs> and then he goes on to give his merits. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. God, look at me. Look what I've done. Look at what I've achieved. And then the tax collector, this guy couldn't have been more different. Horrible rap sheet. Has done nothing right. Like this may be the first time he's even approached a temple because he thought he was going to burn on fire, right? This is probably the first time he's ever even approached a temple and he has nothing good to offer. This may be the first time that he even prayed to God, probably stumbling all over his words. But this is what happens with him. It says the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This phrase, have mercy or be merciful, in Greek is translated as hilas komahe. Okay, I just sound smart there. <laughs> but this word is actually the word for atoning sacrifice. Okay, this is why this is important. When we read what this man says, what this man is actually saying to God is saying, God, because of what you've done, Because of who you are, because of what you have to offer, I can now approach you as a sinner, but knowing that because of what you have done, you will have mercy on me. You see, the tax collector, his approach to God is God-centered. God, look at what you've done. The Pharisee's approach is self-centered. Look at what I've done. Now, I think that we can read this story and probably decide who's wrong, right? Even if you have nothing to do with God, you could read this story and probably decide which one that you would say is wrong. But if I can be honest with you guys, I actually resonate most with the Pharisee. Someone in here like, babe, grab your bag, grab the kids. We are leaving Red Rocks Church. It's filled with heretics. Relax. Give me like 10 seconds. I resonate with the Pharisee because I'm a recovering legalist. 
I'm Andrew, and I'm a legalist. <laughs> you see, at my, hi, Andrew. <laughs> nice. It's <laughs> good. <laughs> at my core, my biggest fault as a husband, as a pastor, and as a leader is that I have this spirit of legalism. And it's something that I've dealt with my entire life, and I've probably got wrong more than I've gotten right. And here's why. is because I often buy into the lie of the world that you get what you deserve. I mean, is that not how our world operates? Like, if you're a good person, you have good merits, you do good things, and your value and your worth is more, and you deserve more. If you're not so good of a person, you screw up all the time, you're the screw-up, you never have any of your stuff together... You're not so good of a person, so you deserve less. Your worth is less, and your value is less, and you should be treated accordingly. See, I often find myself fighting the truth that God's love for me is actually not based off of what I do or do not do. But you see, I've learned some things in my struggle with legalism. I want to share those with you. And maybe you're you're in here today, and maybe this will resonate with you. Maybe after hearing this, you'll understand or you'll realize, man, this is something that has been stripping freedom from my life. Here's what I've learned. Is that the spirit of legalism leads you down one of two paths. Pride or condemnation. Pride or condemnation. There's no in between and both are a complete misrepresentation of God's heart for you. Both are complete misrepresentation. The first way that I think we can go when we have a legalistic heart is pride. You see, a prideful heart, you're going to have some moments or some seasons where you have life whooped, right? Like, you do all the right things. You say all the right things. You never miss an offering basket, right? You're the perfect husband. You're the perfect father. You never miss a Sunday. You even went to church during the Broncos game to show how awesome you are. Right? You're going to have some seasons in your life where you're going to be able to check everything off the checklist. And a legalistic heart will say, because I've done all of these things, my value is now greater, my worth is now more, my consequences will be less, and my blessings will be greater. Because when our approval or our right standing is based off of what we do and we do good, we're in a good place. Right? That's how a legalistic heart operates. In all honesty, though, you know what legalism is? Legalism is just pride cloaked in nobility. That's it. I mean, on the outside, like, things look good, and you got all your stuff together, and people could look at your life and applaud you and say, great job. But on the inside, your heart is filled with pride, but also your heart is filled with insecurity. Because you're not secure in the man or woman that God has called you to be. And so here's what happens. A legalistic heart can turn into a prideful heart, which then turns into a judgmental heart. See, a legalistic person is very, very critical of other people. Is very critical of other people. You see, we're just like the Pharisee. We say, hey, look what I've done. Look at what I've become. Look what I have to offer, especially Compared to this person, we judge ourselves based off of people who aren't as good as us. Well, good news, you're always going to find someone worse than you. They're all out there. But I deal with this so often that oftentimes 
I, I will fast, okay? During the year, I'll fast a few times a year. And that's where I give up food for, for a deeper intimacy with the Lord, where my prayer life is strengthened. I do that often. And here's the thing with that, though, and I, I'm, I'm just being vulnerable, being honest, that sometimes I'll be doing that, and then I'll go out to eat with someone, and they're sitting next to me eating a beautiful, luscious, gorgeous, all-American cheeseburger, and I really, I, I think to myself, like, I cannot believe you're not starving yourself for the kingdom of God, you pagan, right? <laughs> we think these things. It is funny, but it's funny because it's true, right? This is the state of the human heart. That we have a standard that we set for ourselves when it comes to God, and we judge people based off of our standard and not God's standard. And it makes sense. If we're not willing to accept the free gift of God's grace, why would we give to someone else what we have not received? Right? I mean, that's the legalistic heart. But here's the kicker. Is what happens to the legalistic heart when that checklist doesn't get checked off? You have the season where you're not the perfect husband. You're not the perfect father. That sin or that addiction has crept back into your life. You've missed many offering baskets, right? You slept through church, and some of you slept in church. I can see all of you. (laughs) What happens when the checklist isn't checked off? Well, we go to the other spectrum of legalism. We go from pride to now we go to condemnation. You see, a legalistic heart can and will eventually lead to guilt, to shame, and condemnation. And here's why. Because if a legalistic heart says that I have to perform in order to gain, and I don't perform to the standard I've set, I have now missed my mark, which now turns into guilt. So now we assume that because I feel this way about myself, surely God's got to feel this way about me, therefore... God's love for me has lessened. My value and worth has decreased. Hello, consequences. Goodbye, blessings. And you see, when we get to this place now, how do we serve the Lord? Well, now we serve the Lord from our guilt. We don't serve the Lord from his salvation, from his grace, from his peace, from his joy, from his freedom. We serve the Lord from our guilt. And what, one of two things happens when we serve the Lord from our guilt. We either turn our backs and leave completely because we'll never be enough, or we go to this cycle where we do more, pray more, read more, fast more, sin less, do anything that we possibly can to gain that right standing back with God. It's this vicious cycle of legalism where we do good, feel real good about ourselves, screw up, feel real bad about ourselves, and then we do and do and do. You see, it's this never-ending cycle, this chasing of the wind that is exhausting, and there's no freedom in that. That's not freedom. That's bondage, and we wonder why so many people refuse the thought of even walking into a church or walk away from it entirely, because this way of living is not sustainable. It's not sustainable, See, just this week, it's perfect timing, actually, one of my old students called me, and he's, he's 21 years old, but he, he has a personal relationship with the Lord, and he accepted the Lord back in high school, and, but he would tell you since then, he's made just about every wrong decision that you could possibly make in your life, and he called me and said, hey, Andrew, man, I, I, 
I remember what God used to do in my life, and, and I think I want that. I think I want to come back to church. I think I want to experience that again. And I stopped him, and I asked him this question just to see his answer. And I said, hey, do you feel worthy enough to come back? Like, do you, do you, do you, actually, do you feel good enough to come back? And without hesitation, he said, absolutely not. Not. This kid, because of what he's done, because of how far he feels like he has ran, he doesn't even feel good enough to step foot inside this building. And I said to him, who told you that? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Who told you that God's love for you was based off of what you've done for him? And some of you, I ask you the same question. Who told you that? Who told you that you're not good enough to come in here and approach the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and raise your hands because of what you've done? Who told you that God's love for you has lessened? You see, I think here, this is important, I think a lot of us think that we're being noble when we say, you know what, man, when I, when I get my stuff back together, I'm going to come back to church. Or, man, when, when, I'm, when I'm good enough, I'm going to come in, I'm going to raise my hands to worship. Like, I got to get all my stuff back together before I can feel like God wants me again. And you think that you're being noble, but let me ruffle your feathers for a moment. You're not being noble, you're being just like the Pharisee. It might look different, but you're being just like the Pharisee because you're still basing your relationship or God's love for you based off of what you've done. See, that's so many of us within this place. You feel that in your heart right now. You see, legalism, it's this never-ending cycle that brings you to a place of pride or condemnation, neither of which was God's plan for your life. You're in here today, and this is you. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is you. This is how you've been approaching God maybe your entire life, or at least maybe the season of your life that you've been trying to do and do and do all in hopes that you might attain or maintain this relationship with God. And you are exhausted. You have nothing left to offer. You're exhausted. And, and so here's the question. What, what do you do? What's your approach? What do you do? How do I heal this heart of mine? Well, let's not forget that there was a second man in that story. And that man went home justified. Let's read his story again. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This man who humbly came to Jesus, had nothing to offer, but humbly came to Jesus and said, Lord, I've got nothing left. I'm a wretched man. I'm broken. I'm lost. I have nothing to offer you. But because of what you've done, Lord, have mercy on me. This man went home justified. What a beautiful story. And it's a beautiful story because this is God's heart for you. If you've ever wondered how God responds to you when you're in your deepest and your darkest place, but you still choose to approach him anyways, this is what happens. The man with the horrible rap sheet. The man who had probably done a lot more wrong than he'd, he'd done right in his life. 
because of his approach, experienced the redeeming, atoning, perfect salvation of Jesus Christ. You see, this man understood something. And hear this today. This is important. This man understood something. That when you approach God, it's not about the perfection of your heart. It's about the direction of your heart. It's not about the perfection. It's about the direction. And where was this man's heart directed? At himself, at his works, what he had to offer, what he didn't have to offer? No. His heart was directed towards the one who could save, towards the one who forgave, towards the one who redeems, who restores, who brings life and joy and freedom. And my question to you, at this season in your life, where is your heart directed? Where is it directed? Ben, you can come on up. We're going to end with this today. You know, I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from. I don't know if you have a great relationship with the Lord or you feel like you couldn't be further from a relationship with the Lord. I don't know where you stand. But I felt like this week the Lord wanted me to tell you, maybe tell you for the very first time, for most of you, remind you about why when we approach God, it's not based off of what you have done. See, thousands of years ago, before Jesus walked this earth, God's children, his chosen people, the Israelites were bound by law. God had given his people these hundreds of laws for them to fulfill. And as you could imagine, they could not fulfill all these laws. And whenever they couldn't fulfill the laws, there was this separation, this relational separation between God and his people. And so to gain right standing back with God, his people would have to sacrifice these perfect, without blemish animals to gain right standing. But as you can imagine, this way of life was not sustainable. They would screw up have to sacrifice, screw up, have to sacrifice. It was just this impossible endeavor that they could not fulfill. And because of this, it created some marital tension between God and his people. God had to do something about it. For God so loved the world. He so loved you He so loved me that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ. This man, Jesus, was born into this world fully God, fully human. He had to represent both sides so he could mediate between. And this man, Jesus, from the day that he was born to the day he died when he was 33 years old, he lived a perfect life without blemish life. This man, Jesus, was able to fulfill every single law that God had given his people. So hear this. Because Jesus was perfect, without blemish, and he represented us and God, God used him to be the perfect sacrifice 
And so God allowed this perfect man, Jesus, to be thrown up on a cross. He nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns shoved onto his head. And Jesus's, his final words on the cross was, it is finished. It is finished what he was saying that by what he was doing by this perfect sacrifice, it's no longer about what we bring to the table. It's no longer about who we are. It's no longer about us filling all these rules and regulations. Jesus was saying that it is finished, that no longer do we have to avoid God or we can't run to God based off of who we are and what we've done. And then Jesus breathed his last breath. And the second that he breathed his last breath, all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt, past, present, and future went up on that cross with him. And now God sees you through the eyes of Jesus. God sees you through the eyes of the cross, and the cross was perfect, and it was finished. It was done. See, Hebrews 10, 14 says, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Amen. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part in the purifying process. Red Rocks Church, hear me. Because of that perfect sacrifice, a relationship with God is no longer about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. A relationship with God is no longer about what you deserve. It's about Jesus got what you deserve. A relationship with God is no longer about what you bring to the table. It's about what Jesus brought to the table over 2,000 years ago. See, some of you feel and are so burdened with this thought that to be able to attain or maintain a relationship with God, it's about all that you do. Well, good news for you. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not the message and the good news that Jesus came to bring. You see, the second that you were born, you belong to God. And the second you accept him, you are adopted into his family. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are an heir of the throne. And now you don't obey for approval. You obey from approval. Now you don't obey for his love. You obey from his love. That's the God that we serve. That's why he did that. That's why he sent his one and only son for you. And whoever believes in him shall not perish. Not whoever does everything perfect. No, whoever believes in him gives their life over to him. You see, obedience by world standards is duty and rules and regulations. Obedience by God's standards is joy, life, and freedom. Obedience isn't about I have to anymore. Obedience is about I get to. My question, which man are you? In your season of life, no matter how deep or dark or sinful or whatever it may feel, how do you choose in this season of your life, in this moment, today, right now, how do you choose to approach the throne of God? Let me pray for you. Jesus, what a beautiful name that is. God, we worship you. And we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. 
God, all of us are such broken people. You say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Lord. Every single one of us is broken, is messed up, is in, in dire need of a Savior. God, there's someone in here today. There's someone at God Behind Bars, someone listening online, someone in, all the way in Brussels, Belgium, who desperately needs to know that no matter what they've done, no matter how far they've run, that you love them no matter what. There's nothing that we can do to lose your love. There's nothing we can do to earn it. God, speak to us in this moment. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I just, at all locations, I want to ask one question. You're in here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You're actually not even sure why you even came to church. But right now you are. You don't have this relationship with God and you've stayed as far away as possible because you felt like I would never have what it takes. I would never be enough. But today the Lord just spoke to you, said, son, daughter, I was enough. That makes you enough. That makes you perfect. I see you through the eyes of the cross. And you're in here, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. You say, I want to start one. I want to believe in this man. I want to believe what he has to offer is true. You're in here today and you don't have that relationship, but you say, you know what, Andrew? I want to start this relationship with the Lord. If that's you in here at all locations, would you just slip up your hands so we can pray for you? Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, we welcome you into this place. Amen. Obedience to God now is just worship. And so we're going to go into a time of worship. And what better way to approach the throne of God than right now to stand and give the Lord our God all the glory, honor, and praise. At all locations, if you want to stand, let's worship.